John Roderick. We speak to you from our present, which we can only assume is your distant past, the turbulent time that was the early 21st century. Fearing the great cataclysm that will surely befall our civilization, we began this monumental reference of strange and obscure human knowledge. These recordings represent our attempt to compile and preserve wonders and esoterica that would otherwise be lost. So whether you're listening from an advanced civilization or have just reinvented the technology to decrypt our transmissions, this is our legacy to you. This is our time capsule. This is the Omnibus. You have accessed entry 363.HE1017, certificate number 28975, dissociative fugues. If we talk for too long, I'll forget how we started, and next time I see you, I'm not going to remember this conversation. <laughs> I don't even know if I've met you before. Fugues. I'm in one right now. You're, you're, you're in a, you think you're Scandinavian, apparently. Dissociative fugues. We uh, recently put uh, daytime soap operas into the omnibus for the first time. We did. And I think we might have even mentioned that amnesia is a popular trope on these uh, kind of melodramatic serials. Right, of course. Uh, Second only to identical cousins. Uh Well, or identical cousins that have amnesia. Even better. Yeah, Yeah, lots uh, lots of people coming back from the dead often... And I'm not really sure what the plot reason would be, often with amnesia. I guess it, they, then the writers don't have to explain how they came back from the dead. They can just say, I don't remember. Um, amnesia is real, right? That's what I always wondered, because it seems so fascinating when you would read accounts of it in, you know, whether you'd see a soap opera or a spy novel or something. But it seems like something you could it's, fake, too. It seems so unlikely. Yeah, that's like, kind oh, of... oh, I don't remember. That's kind of central to our story today, is... Uh, you know, to what degree is this deceptive, self-deceptive? Because um, these are questions that have been asked about different kinds of amnesia for a long time. Have you ever had the experience of, you know, having, for, I mean, not forgotten something, but ha- having one of these kinds of blackouts of, you know, non-addiction related, but just coming to and not knowing where you are having forgotten a day or a time or something bad or well no when i first i mean the something bad type of thing who knows maybe i was molested by aliens 50 times but you still have not remembered they successfully made me think that they that it was just my owls turning to pillows we can recover those memories now if you want i would rather not here i'll make some alien sound effects click 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 no Ah! um no, the only things I've had, are, you know, after I started taking bipolar medication, people in my family would say things like, well, when we were out to dinner with, you know, Beth Ann, and I would say, I, we, I haven't been out to dinner with Beth Ann for 15 years, and they, were, they would say, here's we, a photo. We went out three nights ago, and I would say, what, what are you talking about? Is but that then, a side effect of the, of the pills you were taking? Well, so I went online and was like, so... 
does bipolar medicine make you have no short-term memory? And of course, there was a message board full of lunatics. Does anyone else? D-A-E. <laughs> and, uh, and some of them were like, yes. And then they recommended a medicine, over-the-counter medicine, called N-A-C. And I, N-A-C-L? Not N-A-C-L. N-A-C. And I bought some and started taking it. And did Beth Ann suddenly come back to you? Well, I've never, I've never forgotten another dinner with a with a friend that I didn't remember. Um, and then I talked to my psychiatrist and was like, "Well, I'm taking this off book NEC." And he, I, either because it's true or because psychiatrists don't want you to ever think of something that they didn't think of. <laughs> right. Hey. He said, uh, oh yeah, that stuff is, you know, fine. I would, I, I recommend that all the time to people. And he's like, I'll Google it later. So anyway, so now I take NAC every day to keep myself from forgetting dinners. But I also feel like my family gaslights me enough that maybe <laughs> they all there, got together. Maybe there is no Beth Ann. Maybe I have you know, maybe none of it exists. You're going to spot Beth Ann in a store and it's going to turn out to be the actress they hired to play Beth Ann. And you're going to have like a Hitchcockian and affair she, with her. She's going to have no memory of it either, but that's because her twin actually did it. I'm starting to get to the age where like things that I thought I would, you know, just being having similar experiences, but without any drugs, just with being a dummy, like, <laughs> no, we haven't seen that movie, Mindy. And then like a 90 seconds in, I'm like, oh, we watched this actually. Yeah. Even not even that long ago. Yeah. Uh, and I used to just kind of count on having the kind of memory where that didn't happen. But. For some reason, I, and I don't know why, you know, I'm not on Twitter except I just peek. I peek. That and doesn't I, count. Peek. And I saw that uh, everybody's talking about Chris Pine, and I couldn't figure out why, so I went and tried to figure out why briefly, just briefly. I didn't really care, and I still couldn't figure out why. But somebody on this thread was saying, oh, he was in a movie with Jeff Bridges, that was really good, even though his other movies are bad. Hell or High Water. Yeah, and I was like, I have no idea why why I'm reading about Chris Pine. It's not a thing I'm interested in. Why is he a meme now? But this Hell or High Water movie sounds interesting. And so last night I was like, I'm going to watch that Hell or High Water movie. And then I had totally seen it, like just a couple <laughs> years ago. It is a good movie. They say that a lot of that with aging is just because you've you know, now you're a person who's seen 3,000 movies. 3,000 Jeff Bridges movies. When you were younger, you were a person who had seen three Jeff Bridges movies tops, and you could say, well, this is not Tron or Fabulous Baker Boys, so right. it must be a new one. There's just more going on in your head now. I say that so often. This is not Tron. <laughs> Every day of my life, I get behind my car and I'm like, you know what? Once again, this is not a light cycle, and uh, it sucks. It sucks. Why? When will this ever be a light cycle? I do feel like there's a master control program going whoa, 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 whoa all the time. Those are the aliens that you're remembering. Oh, right. I have actually had the experience of coming to and not knowing where I was or how I got there. What? And it's um, it's a very unpleasant, disorienting thing. Well, where were you, and how did you get there? I was in a hospital. It's not a. It's not that fun a story, honestly. Oh no. Uh, when, but this is my own experience with amnesia. Uh, when I was, when I went to move to college, my family moved to Singapore where my dad had a job for, for Oracle. <laughs> Are you sure? Or he said he did. Yeah. Maybe he was he, like, Ken's away at college. Quick. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think so. Cause they let me come visit crucially uh, to the story. Oh, oh, oh. So, you know, they had enough, he had enough miles from his job that he could like, you know, fly me home on Christmas break or whatever from school. So occasionally I'd visit my family there and they were living in an apartment complex by the 
highway in beautiful, verdant, equatorial Singapore. So it's, you know, hot and steamy and muggy, and it's surrounded by beautiful green jungly trees full of monkeys and sometimes I think big fat snakes. Did, did they make uh, you leave your bubble gum at the gate? Oh, yeah. Don't don't take your gum. Mm-hmm. You're allowed to, ch- I think you're allowed to chew it. You just can't import it or buy it. Whoa. So if, if there's some way to teleport gum into Singapore, you can make, well, I was about to say you could make a mint. But you can make a double mint. <laughs> Am I right? Yeah. Ding, ding, You're laughing. Ding, ding, you're having ding. a good time. I liked that one. Um, but my parents' apartment complex had a pool. And one day, I just went out with my sisters, little sisters, to the pool. And we were... Did you see a fat snake? Clowning around. No snakes in this story, to my knowledge. Um, but my knowledge is very spotty. Like, we were apparently just clowning around in the pool. And at some point... Someone noticed that I was not clowning around, that I was now floating in the pool and not doing a bit. And Face down or face up? I gotta say down. I mean, I've only seen Jason Bourne movies, but I think face down. I thought you were going to say, I've only seen pictures. I was like, they were taking pictures. They thought it was funny for (laughs) the first 15 minutes. No, I, I think for a while it was like, what's he doing? And then it was like, oh, wait, no, this is a real thing. Whoa. And luckily, as as I... Now understand the story. There was somebody like a an amateur lifeguard, like somebody who was on the the local international high school, the coach for the swim team. Or is amateur lifeguard a job? Yeah, I'm self proclaimed <laughs> lifeguard. Do you want to see this little card I made? I went to Kinko's. Uh, amateur Baywatch. No, I think he was maybe he was the coach for the kids. Swim t- swim team, or you know, some guy with like actual life saving qualifications, just. Happened to be there and was like, oh, no, here's what we do. That's handy. Got me out of the pool, did did uh, uh, respiration. Um, but my, you know, I got to the, uh, an ambulance came and I was taken to the hospital. And my parents were told that, like. Were you awake and conscious or? No. No. Okay. My parents told that if I, like, survived any of this, I was going to have, like, probably extensive brain damage because it seemed like I had not. Apparently, you need oxygen hmm. in your brain. And there was a long period when I was this diagnosis. sucking down chlorinated Singapore pool water. Yikes. Um, Maybe Singapore pool water has life-giving quality. I, I can only speculate that it does because through, through I'm extremely lucky in that I woke up, I think, the following night. It could be luck. It could be an act of God if you believe in a benevolent deity. It could be amazing Eastern Asian medicine. Right. Um, I'll keep a I'll keep a little running tally over here. But I woke up in the hospital the following night, and I had no memory of the previous day. I I suddenly because you were unconscious the previous day. Well, even the parts of the day when I was conscious, oh. you know, me getting up in that morning, doing whatever I did, saying, "Hey, let's go down to the pool." All that, around, all that was just gone. Wow! And so suddenly, I I come to in a hospital, and I'm like, I, I can't. I think I must have had a breathing tube. I had tubes everywhere, catheters and IVs and whatnot. And that's that Eastern medicine for you. Yeah. They got cath, they got this thing called catheters. And I, like I, and I had to write a note. I think my mom was there when I woke up and I wrote a note, like, where am I? And she was like, you're in the hospital. Like you don't remember. And I did not remember a thing. So it's a very weird experience. I feel some, the awful thing is that I was not around. I have no memory of what was probably the most difficult moment in my like in my parents' parenting life wow. was this like hospital emergency for which 
I have no memory of like the entire 48 hour period. Wow. Um, you know, I think one of the worst things about my life is that I have very clear memories of a lot of, of those, all those low points <laughs> where I wish, <laughs> I wish I had a day or two that, that I couldn't. Yeah. Why recall. can't I can't, well, why come I can't forget all the embarrassing things I did in high school, yeah. but, um, but no, the whole day was gone and you know, I made some kind of astonishing recovery and was I think home in a matter of days and then you just kind of back to normal in a matter of weeks and I can yeah this story is kind of about my superhero bionic abilities sure no just think about how think about how much jeopardy I could have won if I hadn't yeah been slowed down by my my uh oxygenless hour in yeah. Singapore imagine how much more interesting this podcast would be I'd have like lively asides mm -hmm. and interjections, but mm -hmm. now I'm just like, every time I'm like, uh, is that right, John? That's like post, you can't say anything because that's my disability. That's post swimming accident, Ken. So, I, you know, who knows what happened? I must have hit my head on the side of the pool or like my parents were hoping I could provide some context to like what had happened out there. Why, why did you suck down half the pool? And your sisters had no, nothing to offer. They didn't see whatever the moment was like, you know, maybe I took an elbow to the solar plexus and gasped at the wrong time and, or, you know, hit, you know, could I have hit my head and sank, sunk? Let's think about all the other things that could have happened. I mean, they're aliens. It could be aliens. It could yeah. be a big fat Singaporean snake. Yes. That gets away in time for and no one sees it. Injects me with venom that no one can detect. What else could it have been? What, uh, the rebels could have been rebels, like from Star Wars, or like from a local militia. From a local militia that that hits you with a poison dart. Singapore was like a police state then, and now I don't think there was a militia. There's always rebels somewhere <laughs> in, the, in the jungle, in direct proportion to how much of a police state it is. Do you think they they hang out at this apartment complex where a bunch of expats live? I think, yeah. And what and their number one thing is let's get the sons of these lawyers. So the next, like when I got home, I remember pop, like looking what was it in the VCR was the tape of, um, I've been watching Ken Burns, civil war documentary because it was, was the, the early nineties and everyone had to do that. Right. And I, it was the tape because it was a videotape. I could see where I had been and it was at the end of, you know, the seventh episode. And I start watching the next one. And I'm like, I have no idea what's going on here. What, why are they talking about Fort Donaldson? I didn't see that. And I wound it back and I realized this was the episode I had watched the day I had uh, decided to later drown in the pool. Interesting. And I had no memory of what Lee and Grant were up to because well, that's the proof. whole day had vanished. That's proof that the day had vanished. Yes. Vanished. Well, and also the fact that I, you know, I could remember kind of the night before and then suddenly, I, and it wasn't like I wake up in the hospital thinking, why am I not on my bed? It should be the next day. Like there was some sense of a, of a lacuna or a, a void, you know, there had been a gap clearly. Do you want me to tell you what Grant was doing on that day? Or An did, absence. You, did you go back and watch it? <sighs> yeah, no spoilers. This, it's been 30 years and I do, still don't know. <laughs> there's like, there's one episode of the Civil War. <laughs> McClellan was in charge in the army and all of a sudden he wasn't. I'll watch it on a plane. But that was the closest I'd ever had to this. This uh, turns out a fairly common thing where people forget trauma. Right. Something bad happens and, you know, there's dozens of different types of amnesia and they're very specific. You know, there's the kind we all have where we forget our infancy and then all the way up to really kind of abstruse Oliver Sacks kinds where you forget to talk or you forget everything that happened up to a certain day or you can't make new memories after a certain day or... 
When you say trauma, though, do you mean like there's a there you witness something terrible and then you just fugue out and then can't get back to it? I mean, both kinds. I mean, often it's physical trauma. Like most most kinds of amnesia come with actually some kind of head trauma. You know, right. there's a lesion on the brain or or something's atrophying. You know, the the kinds of amnesia that come with um, dementia, old age, uh, Alzheimer's. Um, you know, but sometimes the cause is purely psychological. Um, sometimes there's some physical injury, but not enough to explain that. You know, it's some act of violence to your person that you just can't uh, cope with. And one of the the mind's coping techniques for that is something called dissociation, where you you cease to perceive the bad things happening to you as yourself. In the moment. In the moment. Like, it's commonly reported by people to whom tragedy is occurring, you know, something tragic happens in your life, specifically violence or, or very commonly uh, sexual violence. People in those situations will report that, yeah, I, I saw that the bad thing was still happening to me, that the violence was still being perpetrated on me, but I just felt very uncaring. It was like I wasn't in my body anymore. That was that was now somebody else's problem. This happens between you and me all the time where we'll be in conversation and then I'll notice that I'm talking to some paper Ken that you have erected in front of real Ken. I'm just looking at my phone. Yeah, real Ken's looking at his phone, but but other Ken appears to be looking at me. Well, I was thinking about that. Like the this kind of dissociation seems like something that happens mildly to people every day where we just kind of step away from the things that make us uncomfortable or but maybe that's maybe I shouldn't be claiming maybe that's a totally unrelated phenomenon is not what trauma victims experience. I don't know if it's a different thing or a, or if it's qualitatively different. For example, when like I first went on TV and I would read people saying, you know, mean things about me, like, oh, who's, you know, when's that guy going to lose? Nerd. When's that nerd going to lose? Jeopardy's not fair. Why is he wearing brown slacks? <laughs> Does he shop at men's <laughs> warehouse? You did. I guarantee it. <laughs> uh, but I remember one of the, one of the immediate Strat, you know, not strategy, something I came up with. One of my immediate responses would just to be like, well, they're talking about some guy on TV. You know, I would immediately kind of dissociate in a way where they're not taking it. I'm not going to take this personally because that's not me. That's somebody else. God, I wish I had that ability. I, I have needed it a lot. And I just, I'm the other, I'm the opposite. I'm well, like, oh, they're just talking about general middle-aged white dudes. And I take it all oh, seriously. Super like, oh, that's me. Hey, don't say that about that's me. So, but maybe that's a different kind of thing. But anyway, it's it's super common to dissociate when you have something hard to deal with. But the severe, uh, you know, the the very bizarre and severe case we're going to discuss today is not common at all. The uh, the dissociative fugue state that can result in severe cases where for hours. Or even for months in some cases, for years in a few cases we're going to see, people lose basically all of their self. All signs, not just memory, but all signs of their own individuality at all. They're, they become a, they don't have their personality anymore. So this happened to a friend of mine. Is that right? A friend of mine's wife. I got a phone call from him. This is probably a dozen years ago. He said, uh... My wife just suddenly stopped being herself, Have had no recognition uh, of us. 
she's in the hospital now and has no uh she's not present and a and for a couple of days I talked to him a couple of times a day he's just sitting by her bed and she's gone um and talking to all the doctors they're just like is, is she responsive but doesn't know where she is or yeah and just sort of in a in a like weird days days and a panic sometimes and, uh, you know, unfortunately for my friend, she totally ran their lives, right? She was the, she was the one that, that knew where all the, uh, silverware drawers were in the kitchen. And my friend was like, I'm completely incompetent here without my wife to handle this situation for me. Well, that's and, not, that's not the main effect no. of her having this trauma is that he had to learn how to do the dishwasher. Well, no, but he didn't even know how to handle the situation. Yeah. And, uh, the doctors were after two days, we're like, this is probably how she's going to be. Um, and he, uh, this may surprise you, went online and read enough about it that he said to a doctor, to a different doctor, can we try this? And that doctor was like, "Mm, can't hurt. And did some sort of treatment, uh, you don't know what it was. I don't, I don't remember what it was. And she reappeared. And has been, and doesn't remember a thing. Doesn't remember anything from the the interval during that whole period. Yeah. And, uh, and what was it? Days? Weeks? Uh, it was you know like several days. Wow. And and to the point that the doctors were like, "This is the new normal. Like you're just going to have to care for her in this state going forward." Come on, yeah. find new doctors. And and it was just this other. It was some sort of other treatment. Like try this. They threw up their hands right away. Try vitamin C. <laughs> Try, uh, has she ever seen the Simpsons? And she's been, uh, just completely fine and normal ever since. And I think it was something like a, a, a bacterial infection or something. It was horrifying. Uh, it was terrifying for me. I, I know her well. Um, and that's the real point of the story, how terrifying it was for me. Yeah, I th- at first I thought it was going to be a story about the helpless husband. No, no, no. Not about the woman who has just lost her whole <laughs> selfhood. <laughs> When's where's this guy going to find out where she keeps the dryer sheets? Yeah. So so it was it was it was phenomenal. I think about it all the time cuz what? Yes. Like this kind of touches on a few of the, you know, the discomfort of the doctors in dealing with it I think is something we're going to discuss because we don't like this idea that our self can just go away. For not just because it shows up the fragility of our own futures, but also just because what it says about what is consciousness. Yeah, what? How could it be all gone? Like, who am I if of the, it can turn off like a switch? But the, but the person still what here replaces it. Yeah, walking around, you know. Yeah, and then also just the fact that she returned having no knowledge of the interval, just like you know me coming to in the hospital and having forgotten a day. Often, the problem with diagnosing dissociative fugue is it doesn't get diagnosed until the person returns. They kind of wind up going through kind of a zombie version of their life. And, you know, unless those close to them pick up on it, sometimes they they don't realize till they snap back and all they know is they have lost a day or a week or an hour. Uh, and they don't know how to think about that. I mean, I know a lot of people that do that on drugs or drunk. Well, know, right. Three days gone and no recollection. And where are their shoes and how did they get to this motel? Yeah, dissociative fugue is kind of mimicking a, 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 that kind of a blackout, although apparently it can last months or years in rare cases, which is generally not true of a 
Are you talking about alcoholism? Because yes, it can. <laughs> alcoholism can, but the blackout will generally not <laughs> encompass months, right? No, no, but it, uh, but, but come, it'll come and more. go. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, the reason why this is possible, I used to watch, you know, uh, fictional accounts of amnesia, and I'd be like, well, this is bogus. This guy knows. This guy doesn't know his name, but he knows the president's name. Like. He's faking. How would that even work? Yeah, like, or, or like, I guess what I thought was like the author is faking. Like, this is a, oh. a plot device. This can't be a medical thing. But in fact, that kind of memory loss is very possible because there are multiple kinds of memory. We have episodic memory, which is autobiographical things that we we remember happening to us in our lives. But there's also semantic memory, which is factual stuff. You know, just knowing that. Um, that uh, Sacramento is the capital of California. That and part of your brain is pretty big. Of, of one's brain or of my brain in particular? No, your particular brain. That's the part of your brain that, that amazes everybody, right? Maybe that's the, why I can't remember which movies I've seen, because it's getting crowded out by state birds and How could and you stuff. possibly remember that Sacramento is the capital of California? Almost no one knows this. It's a little, wow. little known trivia. And then there's a third kind of memory, which is procedural memory. This is knowing how, not knowing what, you know? The part of your brain that knows how to make linguine or drive a car um, or, uh, or read your Gmail. Um, and because they're in different parts of the frontal lobe, uh, you know, lesion or trauma can affect one of them and not the other. You know, you can have totally lost, somehow lost the pathways that give you access to your episodic memory while still being able to access your semantic memory, like knowing that... Um, uh, knowing the Biden's president or procedural memory, like knowing how to drive your car and get out of there. Which one of those memories do I have? The Biden's president or Don't, how to drive your car? No, it doesn't feel like I have any of those memories. <laughs> You're over three. I have a different kind. I don't know what, what the fourth kind is. Is there like more that's just kind of a vibe? Yeah, that's what I, that's what I have. Sort of a vibey memory. Just like a vague sense of, hey. you know, what the groove is. Yeah, that was cool back then. And now it's cool too. I had a nice compliment the other day. The lady who does my hair for TV said, you've got such great hair. Wow. And I it, don't think you would have said that two years ago. I think it was a little thin kind of back there a few years ago. I remember you being self-conscious about it. You also get your hair cut every two weeks. We were talking about this earlier. Oh, you mean because I'm because if I go on TV and it's the wrong length, they just give it a trim. Yeah, you're, you're, you're shagged out. But, you know, I cut my own hair, which is much to my sister's consternation. And then I also don't cut it for months at a time. Well, during the time of year when I'm hosting the show, I get all the haircuts I can eat. But, right. you know, then when they go on hiatus or when Mayim hosts for a while. You only get it cut once every three weeks. I have no, well, who's going to cut my hair? I'm going to fly down to LA and show up on set and be like, hey, do you, hey. Got, any, you got any time today? I look forward to seeing your hip, hippied out look. But you, your hair does look fuller and more vibrant. You don't have to be self-conscious about male pattern hair loss anymore because there are remedies available. I thought the, the sole remedy available was shave your head and then wax your bald scalp. Yeah, or feel bad about yourself and wear a baseball cap. Right. Uh, there's always that. But no. You're like, saying there's a third option. Yeah, there's a couple, there's a couple uh, uh, medicinal options, and the easiest way to get access to those is with Keeps, because that's a service that can get you prescription medication delivered at home after an online consultation. 
You don't have to go anywhere. You don't have to see a doctor. You don't have to see a pharmacist. You get 24-7 care and support from Keeps's medical advisors and prescribers and specialists. Well, that sounds so that you get the treatments expensive, you Ken. You'd think. You'd think. I, it sounds like you're getting a lot of lot of work here. How much is it? Two hundred dollars a month? Three hundred dollars? What if it? What if I told you treatment started at just ten dollars a month? Because you're getting generic versions of the two FDA approved medications. Oh, that's how you save money. That treat hair loss. Everything you need if you're concerned about your hair and prevention is key. So even if you're somebody who thinks. I want to keep the hair I have. Now is the time. Yeah, but it's just got to take two years to show results. Uh, four to six months. Oh, no you kidding. Know. So the best time to get hair loss medication is four to six months ago. But the second best time is today. So if you're ready to take action and prevent hair loss, go to keeps, K-E-E-P-S dot com slash omnibus to receive your first month of treatment for free. That's K-E-E-P-S dot com slash omnibus to get your first month free. K-E-E-P-S dot com slash omnibus. It's extremely uncommon to go into one of these fugue states. Um, I read an NIH paper suggesting that it's 0.2% of the population, but even that seems high. It does seem high. That's like one in 500 people. That's a lot. But I guess like, you know, you could think of a friend to whom it had happened. And I had a physical trauma that led to it happening. I don't, I I mean, that doesn't count as a dissociative fugue. One in 500 people. Yeah. But that, that does seem high. I mean, maybe, and maybe there's accounts really short ones where, you know, I, I, where did I I put my keys? Well, more like, you know, I could, I lost my job and had a, you know, was having such an awful, stressful, uh, nightmarish day that for an hour, I just wandered around the mall, and then I came to and was like, I don't even remember coming into this store. I mean, maybe that's the kind of thing that goes into the literature. Did you ever have a dream where you were floating above your body looking down? Mm, no, that's actually death. You're thinking of death. I had a couple of those where I was like, oh, there I am. Now I'm going to go fly around the neighborhood. I mean, sometimes in my dreams, I'm watching it as if it's a movie, and then sometimes I'm I'm acting one of the parts, but I don't ever recall the, the traditional out of body experience of, well, there I am down there. I, had, I look I, so peaceful. I had a couple of those over the years. Did you think you were seeing yourself asleep having the dream? Yeah. Was it like a step outward? Oh, no, I totally knew, like, there I am, but I'm up here. I always want Lol. somebody, I always somebody want to do some double blind thing that proves it, like, you know, to hold up some fingers by your face and you have to actually say how many it is or whatever. Yeah. It'll never happen. No. Dissociative fugue, because it, uh, it has this, you know, this kind of this upsetting angle that we've discussed, you know, and also because it seems impossible, like it seems like it must be a mystical experience, has not been studied by science all that long. Um, That's who you want to study it, science. If, if it's going to be anybody, I would go to science first before yeah. I went to say advertising. Yeah, me too. <laughs> In 1889, a French psychiatrist named, uh, or, you know, a, a surgeon of some, a doctor of some kind named Pierre Genet had read or seen enough cases like this that he started to write about how this is a thing. Like people sometimes lose their memory, lose their selfhood, flee their lives, and then come to it again with no knowledge of the interval. Um, But his work was kind of forgotten after Freud, who also studied this kind of stuff. Specifically, you know, everything's sexual to Freud. He starts studying people with recovered memories of sexual trauma and abuse. And Freud's terrible cancel-worthy take is, they were all making it up, duh, you know, because he, you know, he, I guess he believed in repression, but 
you know, he mostly believed that these were fantasies informed by the people's own psychosexual deals. And so he didn't believe these PTSD abuse cases. And so Janae's earlier work kind of got forgotten and the, the, the conventional wisdom in psychology became, oh yeah, this is that thing Freud debunked. Um, but in the 19th century, with the dawn of mass media, there started to be enough cases where, you know, it became common knowledge that this would occasionally happen in kind of a Ripley's believe it or not way. Did Sherlock Holmes ever investigate this? He's who I would turn loose on it. I can't think of any mystery stories where, well, I mean, the most common case in fiction today of somebody waking up and not knowing who they are is Jason Bourne in the Robert Ludlum books. Oh. And in fact, Bourne is almost certainly named after the famous 19th century real life case of this happening, an American named Ansel Bourne, spelled the same way. I always thought it was a pun about him kind of being reborn out of the Mediterranean, you know, like a tabula rasa. It could be both. It could be both. It works. Did Dr. Jekyll remember being Mr. Hyde? Well, that's a good question. Hyde remembers being Jekyll. No, I think, isn't some of the terror of some of the transitions that he comes to and sees the blood and doesn't know what Hyde has been up to? Yeah. I think that's true. Um, and that would be around this time. Does uh, David Bannon remember being the Hulk? Bill Bixby does not, right? right? Um, I think in the comic books it varies. But this Ansel Bourne, um, in January 1887, he's living in Rhode Island. He's an evangelical preacher, and he has a history of these kind of uh, amnesiac episodes. At one point in 1857, when he's just a carpenter, he turns to religion because he feels a weird, uh, uh, like a, a pull toward a chapel. Like he kind of has a mystical experience where he finds himself walking toward a chapel. So That's how you know. So the guy has a case history of, of dissociation, apparently. Oh, wait, I thought you were going to say a religious inspiration. Well, it could be both. There you go. I mean— there's plenty of res religiously inspired people who don't suddenly find themselves in a pew, right? Pew, or is that the only way to find religion? It's just to wake up and you're in a church and you're like, well, I guess I'm, I guess I do this now. <laughs> Maybe nowadays that is the only way people will turn to religion is, uh, you know, brain chemistry forces them to. But 30 years later, he's a preacher in, in Rhode Island when suddenly he gets up one day, I think he says he's going to his sister. And he just starts walking. These fugue states often have a literal fugue. And, you know, it's a, the Latin root of that word is to, to flee, to fly. Uh, it's a literal flight. And often there is travel involved. These people will wake up and, or, you know, will suddenly become dissociated in, in that state, not knowing who they are. They don't, instead of going through their usual routines, they, hit the road. they just head out on a trip, um, the open road. And so he walks to Providence. Across Europe. He walks across Europe. Yeah. Do you, do you not remember any of that? <laughs> He winds up in Norristown, Pennsylvania, 240 miles later. Hmm. Uh, and in fact, does, does what anyone would do if they suddenly find themselves in Norristown, Pennsylvania. He opens a stationery and candy store. Right. Uh, and lives, I think, for a matter of months as confectioner and stationer Albert J. Brown. So he's lost his prior life, but is still conscious and conversant. Yeah. I mean, he apparently has the wherewithal to to find out how to open a store in a city he's never been in. Yeah. Did he have some money in his pocket? Must have. Or the, Gotta yeah. buy that first bit of candy. Seems hard to, to, to get a bank loan when you just, I mean, maybe back then you could just be like, I'm Albert Brown. I'm new in town. And they would not say, do you have no, any no, no, proof no, no, you're no. not Ansel Bourne from, <laughs> from nearby Rhode Island? And he would say, nope. 
And then I think a few months later, just one morning, he is knocking on his landlord's door saying, hey, excuse me, sir, could you tell me where I am? Because suddenly he has clicked back to being Ansel Bourne and he is alarmed to find himself in a strange house in a strange town with a strange stationery store. Now, how does this differ from multiple personalities? So, you know, what we used to call multiple personality disorder is now called dissociative identity disorder. Also exceedingly uncommon and really nearly almost certainly confined only to cases of childhood trauma, specifically childhood sexual abuse is often what leads an adult to dissociate is having a repressed trauma like that. Because that past. seems also to be a uh, soap opera subplot. It's real but rare. You switch over to a new personality. Sometimes each one does not have knowledge of what all the others have been doing. Sometimes there is one kind of over, I can't remember what the name is, the overarching mm-hmm. parent personality that kind of manages all the uh, all the systems. The book Sybil, which kind of brought this to the to the popular attention, was based on a real case study. Accurately enough that people who knew that woman read the book at bestseller and were like, oh, this is Margaret or, you know, whatever Sybil's real name was. Oh, weird. Um, in that case, it's, it's rarely, I mean, the thing about a fugue is it, it's like a switch that turns off and then at some point back on or on and off, depending how you think of it. Whereas identity disorder is a dial switching between right. a bunch of people, but there's a ton of overlap. You Where know? one of you thinks that Frodo is nice and one of you thinks that Frodo is trying to steal the precious. Do you think that's, oh, I see. Yes. Gollum is a, is a two person case study in, in dissociation for sure. Ansel Bourne's case came at a time when people did not think this could happen. And so people were eager to study him. Um, no less they, than they, they didn't doubt him. There is always doubt in these cases. Um, William James, the famous psychiatrist took him seriously and hypnotized him and f- felt like, you know, what we need to do is integrate your two people. You know, th- what will heal you will be to find Ansel Bourne and Albert Brown and, make you one person with memories of both lives. Albert Bourne. Ansel Bourne, Albert Brown. But if you put them together, I see. it's Albert Bourne or, or Ansel, Ansel Brown. Brown. I don't know which I would go with. They're both good. They are good. I mean, he chose the same initials, which is good for eventual identity integration. But no less than William James could not do it. And in fact, he wrote an essay about the challenges and the mysteries of this where he referred to these kind of cases as wild facts that we don't want to grapple with. Um, and, and we find threatening, uh, and that seems to be true because as cases pop up, you know, if you read the New York times for the next 50 years, you will see the occasional case that exactly follows these contours. Uh, the Minnesota reverend who vanishes from his home and months later comes to realizing that he's joined the Navy, despite the fact that in his old identity, he had never even been to the seaside. Um, uh, a professor, uh, nearly drowns and three years later comes to washing dishes in a restaurant wondering how he got there. A New Jersey church deacon um, who wakes up suddenly in a strange room, grabs his Bible, realizes, you know, what he thinks is his Bible, sees a name he doesn't recognize on it, markings he doesn't recognize, and suddenly realizes at some point— the Church of Satan. (laughs) Yeah, maybe it's a different denomination. Do the Methodists brainwash you? Realizes it's been four years— and he and he's lost them all. So when you when they switch over, they don't remember their other life. But then when they switch back, they have no recollection of where they've been. That seems to be the most common Whoa. case. And it, there's something eerie about it. It seems more like a 
a fairy tale or a ghost story or maybe even a Kafkaesque nightmare or a South American magic realist novel than anything that could really happen. Um, so it, it, it was treated more lightly than you'd expect in the, in the psychiatric and psychological and therapeutic literature. Um, Wouldn't that suck if you had a Groundhog Day experience and then you came back and didn't remember the piano? You spent three years learning it. You're a great piano player now, and, and you can't remember. What if you have a successful um, stationary, stationary store? store in Northtown, Pennsylvania? When you come to, you just return to your normal life and your original family, and like, oh. and all the customers are like, "Wow, why? this has been closed all week. What happened to the? I wanted to go buy some penny candy." You mentioned the uh, the uh, the assumption which you seem to have immediately that some of these could be hoaxes and that I'm not blaming you for no, this. No, no, I only think that because whenever I have committed a crime and I'm about to get caught, I my first thought is maybe if I just pretend I have amnesia. It's a get out of jail card and it's often accompanied with a flight across state lines, which is what we would often do if you had a Yeah. It hasn't worked yet. Maybe you haven't done it often enough? Maybe I'm living a separate life and I did it successfully when I left my old life. Maybe is there, are there, what's the biggest gap in your life you can't account for? Is it possible you have a secret family waiting for your return in, uh, in Iowa? No, I can remember every damn second of it. Well, so wait a minute. When you're working at your stationery store and somebody says, what was your childhood like? What do you say? Are you just working at the stationery store and you're like, well, I don't remember anything, but I'm fine with that. Well, I was reading the accounts of a doctor named Richard Lowenstein who works for a trauma disorder ward somewhere in Maryland, um, who seems to have more firsthand experience and enough that he's the expert that gets quoted on high profile media cases of this sort. And he says that when you often, when you confront people, when you diagnose people while they're still in the fugue state, not, not the people who have come to and are like, wait, what happened to the last year and a half, but the people who, who are still obviously fuging and you try to nail them down, they are very slippery. They're evasive. They're, they're, they respond. They'll be responsive but you can't really pin them down. They almost seem like absent people. They mm. don't they don't have a personality in a lot of the cases he's dealt with. And so that that becomes very difficult to try to engage with them because because you're giving them the Dunning-Kruger test and and they're failing. Like they're they're not a person in there. Um but he's he also says they will be still often they'll be functioning people. They'll be purposeful, logical, sometimes even to a to an extreme, they will be fixated on a certain goal or motif or something that that seems confusing to rational thought. Um, getting back to the idea that these could be hoaxes, that is almost always, because there's no way to prove what actually happened, which is why you love it as an alibi. There's no, right. there's no subjective way to, uh, to Dunning-Kruger the person into proving they, they don't know that they're Ansel Bourne. Um, often there are accusations that these people are just faking it. You remember the, that mafioso who went on trial and claimed to have to have become uh to have uh, be suffering from complete dementia and he sat in his sat through his whole trial in a wheelchair and then later on it was he was recorded sitting in a bar laughing about it sure or all these high profile cases now where wealthy old guys are finally getting called on the carpet and suddenly they show up to court in wheelchairs yeah you know it's a Giuliani Weinstein move. Um, Giuliani Weinstein? Is that somebody I don't know? That's the name of my no, vineyard. Mr. Giuliani Weinstein. <laughs> uh, 
the most high profile case, which is, you know, and nobody still knows if this was a hoax or not. Do you, are you familiar with Agatha Christie's disappearance? Not one she wrote about, but one that she starred in and perpetuated? No. In 1926, her husband Archie comes home and says, uh, I've been having an affair. And furthermore, Agatha, I plan to continue having an affair. You're a best-selling writer, but also I'm a man in 1926, and I can pretty much do what I want. Bold. Bold move. They fight about it repeatedly to the degree that one morning after a particularly bad spat at the breakfast table, uh, Agatha gets in her car and drives off. And the car is found, I think, later that day just next to a quarry in Surrey with no Agatha Christie in it. She is already one of the most successful writers in Britain, and this immediately becomes a media sensation. The government uh, pledges massive police resources to a, to a manhunt nationwide to find out what has happened to our beloved Agatha Christie. A week later, she turns up in a, a health spa all the way up in Yorkshire, uh, Harrogate, I believe. She has signed in on the uh, register the hotel register as Neil, which is N-E-E-L-E, which is actually the last name of her husband's new fling. Um, and she claims to have no memory of how she got there or, you know, anything since maybe even the whole morning of the argument. Does she recall being Agatha Christie once confronted? Yeah, she has the, the moment of, uh, you know, she's taken to hospital and you know, her fairly quickly returns to her normal self and identity. I like that you didn't use the definite article to describe a hospital because you were using the Britishism. Oh yeah. She was, they in, took her to hospital. She was in hospital. We don't allow that here. It sounds weird. It does. Come on. I mean, I mean, I know they invented the language, but like, would you say that about other places? I guess they do say to university. university yeah. Yeah. Uh, we say college the same way, but that's about it. I went to college. Yeah, we do. I guess well, no, sc- we school also, and church, but you don't say I went to store. I went, well, but you wouldn't go to a church because it, you, you might, if you were wandering through a strange Southern town and heard singing. But it, It's a different use of church, right? A church is a place. Church is a. Same with school. Is a thing. Yeah, I, I went to a school. Right. If, that was, if that's my voting right. precinct, I went to a school, but. We do say it about CIA, or at least they do. We don't. Well, we don't, but they do. They say it about the U.S. Army on Arrested Development. I'm going to join Army. Oh, what? Are, who are the ones that? Oh, it's the it, from the Wire, the Baltimore like. Oh, police. I'm police. I'm police. I think that's a real usage. Yeah. Well, actually, maybe I take it back. Maybe the British are saying it totally normally, and I'm going to start saying, uh, "Hey, I'm." I go to store. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going store. Uh. To this day, her biographers disagree. She always maintained that she was having a, some kind of mental lapse brought on by her husband's cruelty, and uh, you know, lucky, lucky she snapped back. To this day, her biographers disagree on on whether she was or not. Apparently, according to one account, she later confessed that she was just doing it to piss off her husband and draw attention to her, his his uh, ill treatment of her. But you would imagine but that's disputed. if you were really doing that, that you would walk around Paul Mall with a with a in a bathrobe looking up at the sky going where am i if you were trying to do it as a publicity stunt. well she did go to a fairly nice health spa maybe oh, yeah, that's what you would do did they research she's, it she's and thinking of it as a, as a what do you call it a, a wellness uh yeah self-care self-care did how did she get from this quarry to there i mean she must have hitchhiked or 
It's true. Well, no, it's mm-hmm. Britain has a see Britain unlike us has a functioning rail system. Oh, sure. There were probably eight trains a day from uh, from Guildford to Harrogate. There are people listening to the show who are rolling their eyes at the rail system being called functional there. But yes, more than here. <laughs> what? I mean, they don't understand. Like, you know, in Japan, you get an apology over the PA system if a train's going to leave 11 seconds late. But not an apology if you get groped on a train. No, there you, uh, they apologize if they don't grope you. Can I want to do video? I want to put video Are in you pivoting my, to video? I really, you know, I got a Patreon. I want to have video content on what there. What are you picturing? Well, you, it's just you noodling on a guitar or, you know, I want to have engaging videos that tell my story and that help me grow my audience and drive engagement and, uh, you know, promote my whole brand. I think people seeing me on video are going to be more convinced. What are you doing? Are you clearing brush in your ravine? Are you doing interpretive dance? Are you doing Polynesian fire dancing on video? All of the above, including, uh, you know, exotic dancing. I'm going to like show you how I can run down my hallway in my socks and slide, how far I can slide. I have some great news about Squarespace. Oh, Squarespace, beloved Squarespace. Our old friends, that all-in-one platform for building your brand and growing your business by... By, by creating beautiful websites for you. They make it easy to monetize your content in mm-hmm. a way that fits your brand. You can set up member areas that allow gated access to different kinds of content, like your slide sock videos. Mm-hmm. That's at the $10 level. Online courses, newsletters. Uh, you are going to be monetizing the heck out of your fire dancing in no time. Well, you know, memberships kind of fit with what I do, but what if I had a friend... They just wanted to sell their products a la carte. Same thing. Squarespace has templates, easy to use templates that'll help you sell physical or digital products. All the tools you need to start selling things online. Well, I'm going to head to squarespace.com slash omnibus for a free trial. And uh, when I'm ready to launch, I'm going to use the offer code omnibus to save 10% off my first purchase of a website or domain. Are we allowed to do that? Are we allowed to use our own 10% off code? Oh, probably not. Also, I already have two Squarespace uh, websites, so I'm not going to need that. Well, let's tell the people. You, unlike John and I, you are eligible. Go Mm -hmm. to squarespace.com slash omnibus. Thank you to Squarespace for supporting the Omnibus Project. Often these cases do begin with... uh, Trauma, although in some of the high-profile ones we're going to discuss, the trauma seems to be either inner or unknown or, you know, lost to the mists of time. I was reading one case story about a Nigerian medical student who, uh, in his moment of dissociation, he looks up from the table where he's studying, and he sees a, a, a human skeleton at the table next to him, uh, you know, reading and smi- grinning at him. And that's the moment where he knows things are going off the rails. Um, but in a lot of the cases we read about in the media today, uh, there's still a lot of there's a lot of mystery. The case of Benjamin Kyle, we don't know what the trauma is because there's fully 20 years unaccounted for in his life. Do you remember this story? A man turns up in a dumpster behind a Burger King in eastern Georgia. I do not remember this story. Well, neither does he. <laughs> uh, sorry, that's maybe maybe that's a little unkind. Uh, he has no idea who he is or where he comes from. Um, it's difficult, you know, he spends, once he gets out of the, you know, once, I'm sure Burger King sends him to a hospital, but once he's discharged for having no symptoms except for a lack of identity, he finds that it's very hard in America without a social security number to, 
to get a job of any kind. Apparently not, because he'd been living for 20 years without it. That's the thing. How um, do we know it was 20 years? Well, we don't know at what, well, so there's going to be 20 years bef- before, between the trail growing cold, which I will get to in a moment. Um, so he spends, you know, years kind of bopping around between homeless shelters. He, you know, he can, uh, enough doctors take interest in him that he can tell them what he pieces together. And some of it seems to be places where his episodic memory and semantic memory overlap. For one thing, he is exa- precisely certain that he was born 10 years to the day after Michael Jackson or before Michael Jackson. Okay. Which would be a very specific day. I believe it's August 9th, 1948 or something like that. So he has a birthday. Under hypnosis, he can produce the middle two digits of his social security number, for example. That doesn't help. Doesn't doesn't do a whole lot. Well, does it work as a locator? Yeah, I think he has the first digit and the fourth and fifth, which is consistent with um, some of his other testimony under hypnosis. Again, places where factual memory overlaps with his own episodic memory, he knows specific things about places. Like, he knows things about Indianapolis um, and about Boulder, Colorado, you know? You can ask people, you know, you know things that r- come butt up against factual memory, like, well, what's the, what's the biggest grocery store in Boulder, Colorado? And, and under hypnosis, he'll say. And by... By asking him That's further, a weird thing to just trip upon. Well, you you got to. I feel like you got to try a lot of. Uh, you got a lot of dead ends. But by asking him that kind of a thing and narrowing it down, they find out that he can. He can report about the Midwest and about Denver, the you know the Denver area. And by getting even more granular, you know they can find out you know which buses he remembers stopping at which places or which magazines the library had subscriptions to. And then by calling those places, they can, you know, do, it seems like a very fun kind of research. They can be like, well, this must have been between 1938 and 1946 because that's when this library subscription lapsed. But also it's when this store he remembers changed their awning from red to green. But he was only born in 1948, so now he's a time traveler as well? Well, it overlaps the period in which this library got them. I see. I'm sure they didn't think he was getting, you know, he was going to that library before he existed or when he was an infant. That's a fair point. But let's give them some credit. Sure, sure, sure. They, I, they, they would have known that as well. It does sound like a fun adventure because you'd, you'd come up with stuff, right? Not for you'd, him. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, for the for the professionals, I would love to be in on this. Yeah. DNA research, uh, well, let, let's get to that in a second. It eventually becomes high-profile enough a case, you know, because it's so fascinating, all the detective work, that he shows up on, um, I don't know, a current affair. Or no, Dr. Phil. Dr. Phil has him on. Like, who can produce any evidence... Uh, he eventually, na- he names himself Benjamin Kyle. Benjamin spelled a weird way with two A's. And he seems sure that that's correct. That's how he would, in fact, have spelled it. Benjamin. Benjamin, with a final A instead of an I. Oh. Um, but Benjamin Kyle, can't again, can't hold down a job because of his lack of... And uh, people start to petition the government, like, issue this poor guy a social security number, please, so he can get, he can get benefits and apply for work and unemployment. Or... Finally, DNA testing comes to the rescue. The surveillance state helps us out here. Um, His genetic markers match other people of specific surnames with such specificity that the, that these genetic testers become convinced that he is a Davis or a Powell, or at least, you know, his mother's maiden name, for example, might've been Davis or Powell. Davis Powell. That's a cool name. And this becomes enough of a clue to track this guy down. He was, the Benjamin turned out to be fake, but he was in fact, William, Burgess Powell. He was indeed born 10 years to the day before Michael Jackson. 
enough of his stuff is right on the money that you wonder why they couldn't find him. You know, like he, uh, you know, he was a guy from, who grew up in Lafayette, Indiana, later moved to Colorado. In 1976, he cut ties with his family after some kind of a blow up or other. And they report, they had, were concerned enough to report him as a missing person. Oh. So there was a missing persons case from a guy born in Indiana, moved to Colorado, and then went off the grid. And there, are, you know, we can find uh, accounts of him working uh, restaurant jobs until about 1983 when the trail grows cold. But between then and 2004, there's no evidence of where he might have been. He was completely off the grid. From 83 to 2004. Moving from bed to bed, Burger King dumpster to Burger King dumpster. No evidence of him as a person. Um, and that's a situation that continues to this day. His identity has never returned. So he's still, by some measures, in this dissociative fugue state, being told about what his past self um, And none of that has, has jarred him in any way. Like, there's no, oh, I did go to that high school or... Yeah, I'm sure at this point he's returned to the, uh, you know, I think he was, as part of this TV investigation, I think Dr. Phil brought him back to some of these places, only to find little, you know, little recognition from the guy. But at least now he has a social security number, so he can, he can find work. But this mystery of what he was doing for 20 years, if, if he's genuine, which he seems to be, still must be haunting to lose 20 years of your life, and not just in the sense that you know, you were in prison or you were going to die early, but literally you, yourself, you, your you was doing something and you don't know what that person was doing, your, your tether or your Audi or whatever your pop culture would call it. The most, wow. the most interesting case, um, and probably maybe where a lot of people heard about Dissociative Fugue for the first time because it became a great New Yorker article by uh, our author named Rachel Aviv that I've drawn on heavily here was a woman named Hannah Up, UPP, from Salem, Oregon. Her parents were both pastors um, to a Japanese American congregation, even though they were not. Neither of them were Japanese. I guess the her mom had had some kind of missionary experience in Japan and was fluent in Japanese, but they were white pastors for a for a Japanese, I think, Methodist congregation near Salem, Oregon. At some point, her parents uh, divorced, not particularly amicably, although they both stayed in the in their ministerial calling. Uh, her dad, as a missionary, kind of hopping around the world. Her mom stayed Methodist, but you know, did frequent Quaker retreats. She became estranged from both her parents at some point. Um, I think particularly at, at Bryn Mawr, where... Her religious upbringing was a little unusual, and she— uh, Well, at Bryn Mawr, that's a, that's a freshman class. Disassociate from your parents. <laughs> yeah, it's required, right? <laughs> In this case, their religious upbringing was particularly a hard pill for her to swallow. She, you know, she was still a very sincere believer, and she started to you know, meet friends from other religious traditions who asked her questions like, Well, I'm Hindu. Do you think I'm going to hell? And when she finally had to confront this, and then I think, you know, the— her, having her first girlfriend freshman year, another Bryn Mawr rite of passage, right. really kind of turned her against the the kind of homophobic rhetoric she had heard from, particularly from her father growing up. I don't think of Methodism as being a big, like, fire and brimstone religion, but... I wonder if her dad was evangelical. I don't know. Uh, but the funny thing is, even after this realization, you know, some of the 
some of the accounts of her later disappearance speculate on whether this kind of break with her parents would be a, an important conflict or trauma. But she appears to have reconciled with both of them after um, after her coming out. Uh, she still annually would go with her dad. You know, she'd meet up with her dad in Tonga or Ecuador or wherever he was on some, you know, sub-Saharan Africa, wherever he was doing missionary work and and spend the summer, you know, digging wells or or teaching Bible stories or whatever he was doing. And she would go with her mom to her mom's Quaker uh, retreats in in New England or wherever they were. But by all accounts, she was just a just a sparkly young woman. Every all her friends used the phrase light up the room. You know, she was uh she kind of seemed to live in her own little world, which her friends called Hannah Land, where you know, where there were rainbows and unicorns and um just a real ray of sunshine. She decided to become a teacher. Um and with her teaching certificate, she was she had got a job at a at a kind of a Harlem elementary school with, I think, kids facing a lot of the the challenges of, of inner city kids. And on 2008, the first day of school, when she was supposed to show up as a teacher, she just didn't show. Um, the school was worried. All her stuff was in her, just sitting in her bedroom, police later discovered. Um, this becomes a real high-profile disappearance. All her Bryn Mawr friends and her new city friends kind of come come down to the city, gather in her apartment and use it as kind of home base to try to track her down. And the thing about having a dissociative fugue in New York City is you are always on closed circuit TV all the time. Did people check in Hannah Land? <laughs> With the rainbows and the unicorns? That's where I would have looked. She kind of was in Hannah Land metaphorically um, because she starts turning up on on CCTV camera footage all over the city. You know, there's She's showing up in, um, you know, what, uh, on five different occasions, she's at, you know, uh, like YMCA-type clubs where apparently she's going to shower. An Apple store sees her kind of wandering in and uh, 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 checking her email, hmm. apparently. Again, the kind of thing that would raise skeptics' questions about authenticity. Um, but that could be procedural you know procedural memory semantic memory yes yeah, she remembers how to log in the, the same way that i can type my password with my fingers but if you ask me what my password is i'll be like uh but your email address has your name in it presumably <laughs> hers does too right right you have to imagine she's in such a confused state that she can kind of go through the shadows of her life but in a in a kind of a hollow fashion mm-hmm. um you know if you believe in her sincerity i guess um She's seen it at a Starbucks, and by the time her friends get there, she's gone out the back door. Um, it just occurred to me that this is probably the basis for that TV show uh, that um, Alia Shawkat was in, whatever that was called. Uh, the young group of millennials whose friend disappears. Um, Search Party. Did you ever see the show Search Party? No. No. Uh, is CCTV such a thing now that... It happens in real time, and you can be like, "She's at the Starbucks. Go!" No, the police brought the parents the Apple the Apple TV stuff. I think the Starbucks must might have been a first hand report because her friends start putting up flyers all over oh. Manhattan. Yeah, it's just occurring to me. This is almost certainly the um, the basis for this this um, sitcom, uh, and it gets to the point where people start asking her, "Hey, are you her?" And she'll be you know when confronted, she'll be very evasive on the Apple store TV footage, you can see somebody confronting her like, hey, miss, aren't you the the missing girl from those photos? 
and you can immediately see her kind of kick into Hannah mode and be like, oh, you know, no, no, you're you're thinking of someone else. And her family watching that is like, that's the, that's all her mannerisms, you know, but she's using it to deny who she is. The Starbucks case was, was you know, a firsthand notice from a flyer. When she realized she'd been spotted, she took off. Uh, on day 20, the, the captain of the Staten Island Ferry sees a body bobbing um, just off, I think it's called Robin's Reef, you know, Rocky Shoal, just off Liberty Island. And uh, heads up, you know, sets a course for the body, which they presume is dead. They pull Hannah from the water and she is still alive. She's just been bobbing in whatever that is, Long Island Sound. Somebody will correct me if I'm wrong. No, not Long Island Sound. You're right. It's the East River. Yeah, I guess it's the mouth of the East River there. Um, And she's suddenly aware, you know, why am I wet? It's as if no time has passed since the first day of school for her, even though three weeks have passed for us. uh, Face up. Yes, which is the way to go. I can can recommend that firsthand. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, She has a vague memory of having, you know, she's been in the water a long time. People, they, there's evidence that she's been in the water for like 24 hours and she has vague what? memories of holding on to a barge for much of it until she starts to, you know, slip towards the propeller and realizing this is now less safe than being in the water, at which point she lets go and uh, would have died if not for the, the lucky occurrence of coming within visual range of the Staten Island Ferry. Wow. You know, I'm not someone who floats. I'm terrible at floating. And so... But it can be taught. I'm getting better. Really? Yeah. Can you imagine being someone who just can like go to sleep and you just float with your nose above water? Is it all technique? Maybe she's just a better swimmer than we are. I really have to kind of puff out my chest in a very unnatural arched back way to stay afloat. Yeah. My my legs just drag me down. I sink right to the bottom. Her parents spend the following weeks just kind of trying to figure out where she would have been for three weeks and getting into her head. And she's, she's as interested as they are. You know, she's walking around the city with them. Um, I guess at a, at a downtown pier, uh, she has a vague memory of being there on September 11th for some kind of a 9-11 commemoration and seeing lanterns go into the water. And her parents are like, oh, that's the Oban uh, Japanese festival. You always loved doing that. This must have been, you can see the parents trying to create some sensible narrative out of the chaos right. to explain her, her predicament. Um, but what makes her predicament particularly interesting and makes this a New Yorker article is that three years later, she's about to start school at a new assignment. She's gotten her Montessori certification. She's now teaching at a Montessori school in Maryland. And once again, on the first day of school, she doesn't show up. Whoa. And once again, all her stuff is in her apartment. And two days later, she comes to lying beside a creek. And so now there's a pattern. It's like on the first day, you know. She even needs though, to skip the first day of school. Well, I mean, it's scary for all of us, but she, you know, in her own account, she doesn't find it, you know, particularly, you know, traumatic impediment to her happiness or, you know, any kind of real, you know, she talks about how, you know, in her Harlem job, those were kids that were, it's really hard for her to see the kind of, you know, every year to see the new privations that they would have. But, you know, all her fellow teachers were facing that and none of them. Wound up bobbing in the East River. And that's not really what typifies Montessori. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. It's very different at her Montessori school. And it's always happening on the first day of, of the new year. And she keeps turning up by water. You know, in this case, she 
kind of a, a it's a dirty suburban creek that goes behind you know between a housing development and some a strip mall or something you know it's not quite not quite liberty island but she turns up by water and at this point her parents are like you know and and her therapists are like you know there's tracking devices you know like we can chip a pet you could you could have an ankle bracelet or something that you know if you just and she was like no i will not be defined by my disability you know like <laughs> You know, which is which is one way to live, I right, guess. Sure. But, but there are some compromises involved, and in this case, that does actually come into play because uh, I think the following year she's taken a teaching job on the Caribbean island of Saint Thomas. Yes, and Hurricane Irma goes through, which uh, you know just decimates the island. You know, blows every leaf off every tree. Apparently, Hannah's fine. Um, and, uh, you know, a friend has a conversation with her about the, you know, the next hurricane that's supposed to come through. Maria's coming through in a, in a week, and what should we do, and should we leave, and she decides to stay. And then she doesn't turn up at school. And they look at her favorite snorkeling beach, and there's her sundress and wallet, you know, sitting on a bar stool at a nearby hamburger and mimosas place. You know, she's kind of on the east side of St. Thomas, you know, not where the cruise ships go, but apparently still a place where where tourists will snorkel and then her car is found with the rest of her stuff in it and she has not been found and uh, to this day five for five years she's been gone in the new yorker piece her mom comes to st thomas determined to find her and you know it's not a big island no it's not it's not like and it's, and it's an island it's not like um teaching in Manhattan or Maryland where you could go wherever. Well, and it's not a predominantly uh, no. white island. Right. So to be a, a young, and repeatedly in this article, everybody's like, oh yeah, a young, a young white girl. I saw her. She looked like she was out of it. And it turns out it's, it's the same, you know, addicted, drug addicted white girl who keeps showing up nearby these crack houses and uh, right. on the island. I thought you were going to say it's a different drunk for- white sorority girl every time. No, it's, I think it's this, there's few enough uh, of these down on their luck white people on this island that it's the same down on her luck white girl every time. You would think that if you had amnesia and kept waking up in bodies of water that you would not move to an island, but instead would move to a mountain state. I would surgically attach water wings to my body in a way, such a way that my, my alt, my Audi could not take them off. But she, you know, she she was given that choice and decided she didn't want it. And to this day, I mean, I don't know what the state of it. There's still tons of Find Hannah websites out there, um, and it seems like her parents have been concocted a lot of stories. You know, she was fluent in Spanish. She could, with the hurricane coming, she could easily have hopped a boat for Puerto Rico, and there wouldn't be any record. And you can see why this has happened twice before. But the whole cling to a barge as it goes out to sea—that's not going to work every time. No. Especially not as a hurricane she, bears down. She got lucky once in the East River, but maybe that's not going to work in the Caribbean during hurricane season. I wonder if in her fugue state she thought she was a mermaid. It's, you know, it's impossible to say because when she comes to, she has no memory of what her kind of identityless version of herself was doing. Although, you know, we know she was still capable of ordering Starbucks and checking her email and because of the high profile of this case uh, you know the the standard reaction is to be like oh yeah she was checking her gmail i'm sure this i'm sure this privileged white girl is just fine and doing it for the attention and and come to think of it i think that's the take that the uh, search party 
sitcom takes on her. Just doing it for attention. Right. Um, and you can understand why her parents are sure she's alive. She's now the girl who cried wolf or, you know, right. or who didn't cry wolf three times. But, but this remains just a mysterious uh, 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 kind of a basement of the human brain, you know, that, that this can happen to us. And we don't like to be reminded that our identity is, I mean, not just that it's fragile and can be lost, but that it's kind of a con- construct. You know what I mean? Yeah. That, that you can just get along fine and appear normal in society and have none of the things you think make up who you are. I mean, consciousness is maybe just an emergent phenomenon of the brain trying to create order out of a million little synapses firing every day. And, you know, and trying to create some kind of gestalt self out of that. You know, we there's plenty of research evidence that, you know, we do things and then decide to do them. You know, that on some level we just act and then we create the narrative that we tell ourselves, well, you know, here's why me, myself, decided to do that. When really stuff was firing at a very low level and then we decided, well, now that I've eaten that, here's why it was good to eat that. Or now that I've said that to him, Here's why I'll justify it. And we don't like to think of ourselves that way as just kind of a, a jumble of impulses. We want to believe the story that we are the organizing principle in charge. And we don't like to, to see where the cracks and the seams are. And boy, this is like a, these kind of stories are not just a crack, but just a gaping fissure. What if our whole universe is just an atom in the finger of a giant being? And that concludes Dissociative Fugues, entry 363.he1017, certificate number 28975 in the Omnibus. Futurelings, in the unlikely event that social media still exists in your era, our Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram experiences are archived at Ken Jennings. John Roderick, and Omnibus Project. If Ken and I disappear, but are seen checking our Twitter replies, you can know that we have absolutely lost it because there's no other reason to check your Twitter replies. If my tweets are actually funny, that's how you'll know. Something has gone terribly wrong. I'm, I'm, I'm wandering around Manhattan in a new personality. You can email us at theomnibusproject at gmail.com. You can hang out with other futurelings on the internet. And I bet if you hang out with them on the internet long enough, they might even meet you in person. Is this a, is this a singles group now? No, we, we, in the very early days of uh, Omnibus, we joked that the futurelings were a uh, dating site. But the person that was managing our Facebook page at the time was very moralizing and objected to the idea that it was a dating site uh, vocally objected to it of course we fired her and now it's a sex party well it's kind of a free-for-all yeah anything goes and and the last person who tried to impose order was really like you'll regret this when we told him it was a little too too tight a rain. He was his hands were a little too tight on the reins. And since then, since then it's, it's just fine. Been moose posts and mail truck posts it turns, all the way down. It turns out the occasional repeated post is worth it not to have some 
some water cooler dictator whose head is turning into a big bulbous alien thing from all the power he's accrued in in social media forums. You can mail us things at P.O. Box 55744, Shoreline, Washington, 98155. Do you have any mail over there, or are you just going to skip the mail this time? Yeah, I don't believe I will. All right. Maybe on Thursday. And you can support the show at patreon.com slash omnibusproject. In fact, this particular entry to Associative Fugues was suggested by Daniel, a listener who uh, donated at the Washing Bear tier all year. Thanks, Daniel. And got to suggest a show topic, and this was a great one, I thought. I mean, I don't know if the show was, but it was perfectly omnibus. No, the show was amazing. Okay, John. Listeners, from our vantage point in your distant past, we have no idea how long our civilization survived. We hope and pray that the catastrophe fear may never come, but if the worst comes soon, this recording, like all our recordings, may be our final word. But if providence allows, we hope we'll be back with you soon for another entry in the omnibus. 